Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Bars. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Youth in Education podcast, where we explore developments in education, research and policy that affect young people, primarily in the UK, with a range of expert guests. This podcast is brought to you by the Centre for Education and Youth. Hi, it's Alex. Welcome to episode 40 of the Youth in Education podcast. First of all, we hope you are all well and send our best wishes to those of you who are still going out to work or who are juggling work and childcare at home. There was really only one topic we could look at for this episode of the podcast, as the impact of the coronavirus on our day-to-day lives is at the forefront of everyone's minds at the moment. In light of that, I'm joined for this discussion by three wonderful members of the education community, Carly Waterman, Eleanor Bernardes and Leora Crudus, to talk about how the education sector is responding to current events and how we can support our most vulnerable children and their families. We also discuss how we can learn from the changes taking place and record our experiences of what is happening. This conversation had to take place online, so apologies that the sound quality isn't perfect in places, and please excuse the voices of some little ones in the background here and there. Anyway, I hope you enjoy listening. Stay home and stay safe. The Centre for Education and Youth believes society should ensure all children and young people receive the support they need to make a fulfilling transition to adulthood. Find us at cfey.org. Thank you very much, all three of you, for joining me today. I'm here for this issue of the CFUI podcast with Leora Credus, Carly Waterman and Elena Bernardes. Last week, we held a roundtable discussion on how to best support vulnerable young people during the COVID-19 outbreak, which you all kindly took part in. It was a really interesting debate. And if anyone missed out on it, you can catch up on YouTube on the CFUI channel. It was really useful conversation. I was really pleased to see how constructive everyone's responses were. I felt that everyone was really supportive of each other, which was really useful and good to see. And we felt that this episode of the podcast would be a really good opportunity to delve a bit deeper into some of the issues that were raised in the roundtable. So thank you all very much for agreeing to take part in a further discussion at a time when you really stretched. I really appreciate it. Let's start off by having a brief introduction of each of you and where you're from and what you do. Should we start with Carly? Hi, so I'm Carly Waterman. I've been in education as an English teacher and as a school leader for the past 20 years in Northamptonshire. I'm currently the very proud head teacher of Lodge Park Academy, which is part of the David Ross Education Trust, and that's in my hometown of Corby. That's a post I took up in September 2019. I'm also the co-founder of Educating Northants, which is a grassroots movement in my county, which is designed to connect educators together. And I'm also a regional leader for Women Ed, because gender equality in school leadership is something that I feel very strongly about. Thanks so much. Leora? Hi, I'm Leora Credis. I'm the Chief Executive of the Confederation of School Trusts. Thank you very much. And Eleanor? Hi, I'm Eleanor Bernardes, Head of Development and Opportunities at Aspire, which is an alternative provision map down in Buckinghamshire. I've been there since September and before that I was Head of Engagement at the CFEY. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Yes, lovely to have a former colleague with us today. We miss Eleanor very much at CFEY. Let's start off just by thinking about some of the issues that we were talking about with young people. Could you summarise for me what you feel your main concerns are about vulnerable young people at the moment? Let me start with Leora. So I think that there are a whole set of safeguarding concerns that are, are worrying at the moment. Some of the themes that we explored at the round table relate to when you've got families together for long periods of time 
if there is a person in the family who might have violent behaviour, then issues related to domestic violence are likely to surface in contained environments. Mm -hmm. So very worried about that. Also very worried about the impact on mental health. I think there's a variety of children and adults, actually. But I think I'm particularly worried about little ones, about small children, particularly small children who are only children. And in, in this time, will be very socially isolated. Mm. They can't rely in the same ways as older children, perhaps rely on social media and technology as a way of keeping in touch with their friends. That is much more difficult for little ones. So I'm worried about the long-term impact there. So beyond safeguarding, I think there's a, a range of welfare considerations that as we start to plan for recovery, we are going to need to make sure that we've got the services to support those children and their parents actually in this time. And I suppose my second point of concern would be about the disadvantage gap growing considerably in this period. So schools and trusts are doing all they can to remain ambitious about what children can learn in this period. And many of them have moved to online platforms and that's good and we should be encouraging that. But EdTech is not the solution to the world's problems. As we've seen from Daisy Christodoulou in her most recent book, she talks, I think, very powerfully about maintaining the pedagogical intent in relation to EdTech platforms. And I just think we don't know what good looks like in relation to distance learning. And depending when schools open, if they only open in September, we'll have potentially our most disadvantaged children and young people who have missed out on more than a term of their schooling. And I'm worried about how we support those children um, to catch up, I guess, in their learning. So I'll leave it there with those two. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Leora. And some really important issues that I'm, I want to draw out further. I know that in particular, that gap was something that Carly talked about in the round table before. Let's start with the issue of the younger children. Eleanor and Carly, you both have children of your own. Can you tell us a little bit about how you feel about what Leora's raised there and how this isn't maybe impacting some of our youngest children? Start with Eleanor. So I think there is a real pressure on families that are participating in trying to prepare kind of, you know, lesson plans and activities and things for very young children and preschool children as well. And for people that have access to that, so this is the parents who are on the Facebook pages and on the WhatsApp groups and are seeing this. That's a pressure that maybe they don't need at the moment because there is also a lot that can be gained from play and just communication with the families. But also this goes back to the gap that Leora was talking about because there'll be a huge amount of parents who won't be in those groups and getting that information either. So the support for those young children who are at home without that pressure is then another issue altogether because a lot of families where perhaps the relationships are already difficult at the best of times, how we can support those families to interact with their children when they're in close confines and there might be a whole load of risks around them and issues that they've been facing during general everyday life that are really going to be kind of heightened during this period. So it's about thinking what's the best way that we can support them and identify them. So one of my biggest concerns is around the kids who are actually on the margins. So those who are already known, you know, they're on a list somewhere, they're being looked at. There's a whole group of young people who for whatever reason weren't quite there yet. And to be honest, we don't know what's going on in their homes and we don't know who the best person to intervene and to do that support is. And so those are the young people that I'm most worried about at this point. Thanks, Eleanor. That's really clear. And I think it's so important to, to keep in mind the fact that everybody's in very different positions. 
that's really helpful thank you Carly what would you like to add just to sort of echo what Eleanor said about vulnerability, really, um, I think we need to kind of reconsider our definitions of vulnerability at this time, because yes, you know, Eleanor's absolutely right, we have a list of students who we already know are at risk and they're being contacted. But I think, you know, giving vulnerability a sort of definitional boundary right now is quite dangerous. And I think actually what we should do is expand that out to all children and say that also vulnerability might look completely different to what we're, we're used to at school. And I think also, I think in long term, I think our young children, well, all of our young people actually are potentially the most damaged by this long term. And I think that, you know, as a society, we are at the moment in, in the media and in the general narrative, we focus a lot on, on the elderly, we're focused on the people with underlying health conditions. But actually, I think long term, there are emotional and mental health issues that we need to consider with regards to our young children. And I think for me, this period of time should be about how we are building resilience, to echo what Leora had said last, last week, um, in our young children. So that actually it's about readiness to rejoin education in the future. And I think if we can perhaps just sort of reframe what we're doing at home so that the pressure is not on families to be homeschooling as such, because they can't necessarily do that as well as, as we would want them to for all sorts of reasons, but to focus instead on um, the idea of, you know, just providing structure and engagement to support emotional, mental and physical health and to help families to stay connected to schools as well. I mean, one of the things that we're really focused on is making sure that we all feel as a community that we're part of a team. And I think that I would echo also that that means that our younger children are really at risk because they don't have the same kind of ability to connect via social media, as Leora said, as our older children do. So, I mean, I do know that I did a, a little Zoom call with all of the children in year one at my daughter's school the other day it was mayhem but it was lovely because they got to see each other's faces on the screens and I think you know we should try and help our, our youngest children just to use technology in a really guided and controlled way so that they can at least see each other's faces because they might not see those faces for many months so I think that's important too. Brilliant. That's really helpful, Carly. Thank you. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Trying to maintain those connections will make all the difference, I think, in terms of feeling reassured and being able to manage the next few months. You brought up the idea there of a kind of shifting towards a focus on well-being, which was something that we talked about in the roundtable. If as teachers we're moving towards a focus more on, on well-being and pastoral care rather than trying to keep up the teaching day to day in, in the same way as it was happening previously, how are teachers going to balance that and do you think that there are any any things that we need to put in place to make sure that that's not having too negative a, a knock-on effect in terms of attainment when we do finally get back into schools I think this is a really interesting point and the more I think about it the more uneasy I feel actually when I think about the path that we're already on in terms of schools I mentioned this last week as well that I think we've kind of defaulted into a sort of pseudo school at the moment we're trying to fit a bit of a square peg into a round hole and I don't necessarily think it's about our teachers trying to find the balance between the sort of teaching and the pastoral I think really that's the incumbent upon school leaders and trust leaders to to help them find that balance as a whole school I think you know ordinarily in schools our pastoral teams are quite small and our teaching teams are quite big and I do wonder whether actually now what we should be doing is repurposing staff and perhaps redeploying in a slightly different way so that we're able to give as much pastoral provision as we are academic provision. I think you know that's a sort of creative way of, of thinking about your staffing and when I think about my own school and the way that we're working at the moment and people are working extraordinarily hard and doing a fantastic fantastic job 
but they have kind of slipped into what they know. They're kind of doing a re remote version of what they know. They, they're responsible for their classes, they're setting work, they're giving feedback. And I do wonder if perhaps we need to just sort of stop and think, and perhaps the Easter break is an opportunity to do that. I think about the way that we can perhaps make the, the summer term much more productive in terms of creating this readiness to rejoin and focusing on, on well-being as well. I mean, I think the attainment gap is, is a massive issue and something we need to keep returning to. But I also have worries about that, too, in terms of the, like Eleanor said, you know, we can't control what goes on in people's homes. And, and we don't know the effectiveness of any of our kind of remote provision. And edtech isn't the answer, as Leora said as well. So I do worry about the effectiveness of anything that we're trying to do in terms of closing that attainment gap. And I do worry a little bit that if we focus so much on that, we might take our eye off the ball in terms of the emotional well-being and the physical well-being and that red readiness to rejoin education hopefully in September or earlier or whenever that may be. Just to say Carly I agree completely and this is something that I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is that actually what's happened is in this time of real stress teachers and school leaders have fallen into what they know they're being asked to change their schools to solve the problem which is not a school's problem in my opinion and so actually you know, just one scroll through Twitter, you see all the teachers sending out the, I expect this work by here and I'll do this. And people saying, how can you be doing this? People are really stressed, but they're doing it because that's what they know how to do. And actually, although I do think that's important, I don't think in this initial phase that should have been the priority. And for me, I think a lot of the well-being and thinking about this from, from a wider kind of structural point is where we could have perhaps alleviated that a little bit. Well, I think you're absolutely right that school leaders, mat leaders need to be taking responsibility, but also I think local leaders, because people are saying they're not getting enough guidance from the DfE. But actually, when I've been thinking about this, the way that you should tell hubs and collaboration things to happen in a London borough is very different to how you tell it to happen in Shropshire. So I think actually we needed that layer of local leadership to come in and say, how can we solve this problem? And that would stop a lot of the kind of decision fatigue, the reinventing the wheel, and a lot of the kind of people doing the same things at the same time, duplicating workload that we're seeing at the moment. That's really helpful, Eleanor. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. And I think you've raised a really important point there of, of collaboration and, and, and some new partnerships, perhaps, that could ease the burden on individual teachers, on families in trying to make decisions about how things are working at the moment. I'd be interested to know whether any of you have had any thoughts about partnerships or collaborations that will help your work or the work of the organisations that you're involved in. Leora, as someone who's already part of running a big network, what does that mean for you? Alex, may I just comment on the previous issue so sure. before I respond to your answer? So I really love Carly's language of readiness to rejoin. I think that's such a great phrase and that's a phrase that I think could guide us in terms of what we do in, in the next term. And I, I agree with both Carly and Eleanor that there's a balance to be struck here between welfare considerations, well-being considerations and learning. I know perhaps somewhat controversially I do think it's important that we protect the right to an education in this period and that does mean thinking hard about what the evidence says effective learning might look like in this period and I know neither Eleanor nor Carly is suggesting that we just abandon education you know that's not the thing but that we get that balance more right and I, I like what Carly said about thinking about staffing and the numbers of staff that you know in more normal circumstances 
we would deploy towards welfare would be less than the number of staff that we would deploy towards teaching and learning thinking about how we create that balance and how we upskill our staff to be able to to do both things so i thought that was just such a lovely phrase and cst is is a, is a sector body for academy and multi-academy trusts so we have a, a very wide network what has been just so brilliant in the last couple of weeks is the professional generosity that I've seen. Extraordinary, extraordinary. People's capacity to say, I've done this piece of work and I'm really willing to share it in an open source way on my own website, but also on CST's Facebook page with the sector so that, you know, we use it as much as possible. That's extraordinary leadership in these unprecedented times. So I'm not making a call for professional generosity because I think we're already seeing that in the system. But just to, to highlight the importance of professional generosity in, in this period and then think about what that means as we, as schools and as leaders, begin to prepare ourselves to rejoin. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Leora. We have seen some really fantastic examples and it is really heartening to see how willing people are to support each other. And it really reminds you of how generous the teaching profession is as a whole, I think. We saw lots of examples actually in the comments that were coming out from listeners to the round table of how they were reaching out to each other and inviting collaboration, which was great to see. Eleanor and Carly, do either of you have anything kind of in mind at the moment in terms of working with others in a way that maybe you hadn't before to deal with what's happening? We'll start with Eleanor. This is a great time to look at new partnerships, but also not to think about partnerships that already exist and developing those. So one of the things that's been a godsend to our community is that through a totally different connection we've been developing a funding bid with the Rothschild Foundation and when this happened we had Waddesdon Manor who were like how can we help and then they started cooking meals for a hundred or so of our families three times a week and so it's things like that you know that was an existing relationship that only came about because it was already there and they knew us and they knew our cohorts and our population so I would really call on school leaders as well not to be just thinking who are the new people I can go to, but actually, who do I already know? Who are my governors? Who's donated things to the PTA before that might be able to help me at this point? Because there's a lot of people asking for support out there. And I think if we look at actually our existing communities and those relationships that already have that kind of value attached, that might be a really fruitful way for people to go going forward as well. Excellent, yeah, that's really helpful, Anna. thank you. Carly? Um, just a, a point on collaboration from a local perspective. I mean, in Corby, where I work, we have already sort of started the conversation with different schools. We've got sort of three big multi-academy trusts operating in the town, various other smaller ones and, and primary schools as well. I'm very, very early stages of discussing that. But what's really, really clear is that everybody is very willing to do what is absolutely best for the community which I think is great. I think my sort of unease about it is that what I would never want is for us to be making decisions that are based on saving money. And so um, Kath Murray wrote a great blog um, I read this morning where she said that we should always be asking some particular questions about any of the decisions that we're making at this time. And one of the questions would be, what's the rationale for this? Why are we doing it? So for example, if we're thinking about perhaps using hub schools and not having all of these individual schools open for just a handful of children, my question would be, well, why are we doing that? If it's just for saving money and electricity and space, then actually I don't think it's a good idea because I think familiarity for children is important. I think being in the spaces that they know uh, with the people that they know is important. 
important but actually if it's a a repurposing of school spaces I think that's a potentially a good and creative way forward so I saw pictures this morning of a school in Cumbria that's being used as a temporary hospital and so I started to think you know maybe what we should be doing in our collaborative conversations locally is thinking not necessarily how we just put all of the children in one town into one space but let's think about our spaces themselves you know can our schools be redeployed in some other way perhaps to ease the burden on health services or food banks or whatever it might be and i know there's a lot of that going on in the country already but that's the exciting part about collaboration is we can be creative absolutely eleanor do you want to come in on that one definitely i agree 100 percent. and there are some great examples of that coming up and i'd say it's one of those terms it's not just about schools so when we've been thinking about what it means to look after our vulnerable learners yes there's the direct impact on those we need to check they're okay safeguarding checking their fed but actually you know we've had times where we have a cohort of young men who are meeting in the park and we're being asked okay what can we do to, to get rid of them and actually what those young people needed was somewhere to be and to engage and not a school environment they'd be much more suited to kind of a youth work approach in an environment that was much more a youth work environment with those kind of downtime areas and and we can't use a traditional youth model approach in the same way we can't use a traditional schools approach to solve this problem but that those collaboration i think that's the relationships we need to be looking at if we keep it in terms of this is the problem we're trying to solve and this might be a really good way to fix it. So I think there's an awful lot of kind of potential there as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I think all of these examples of really positive solutions that are happening at the moment are a good link to what Leora was saying in the roundtable about the idea of social documenting, how we're recording some of these changes that are happening at the moment and putting down the experiences that we're going through, the decisions that we're making and what we're learning for other people in the future. What do you think about the ways that we could approach that? And what do you think is most important for us to record? Leora, would you like to start on that one? I've been thinking a lot about this since I made that comment at the round table. And I, I published something in the TES following your round table, Alex, which set out in a bit more detail what I meant by the path to resilience and recovery and what I meant by social documentation. I'll be publishing more on that theme next week in our digital journal, Trust. I think social documentation works in a number of different ways. What I'm going to say next week in Trust is just as the story of Anne Frank during the Second World War is massively powerful as a social record of what a young girl during the Second World War thought and felt. So I think we need to be making recordings of what our children and young people are thinking and feeling in this time how they are responding to this crisis. And there are a number of different ways in which we can do that. So we can use written diaries, we can use video diaries, we can use photographs, or in the example that I gave in the round table, we can use chalk on the pavements. <laughs> so I think it's important that we, we capture their experiences. And actually, I think that that might also help with the impact on mental health. But I think we also need to be doing some social documentation of the way that we as a profession are responding in this crisis because as David Carter said in a recent blog, you know, there's no leadership manual for this. It's not like a national professional qualification would have prepared you to lead in this period. So we've seen some extraordinary examples of leadership, a real challenge to leaders, some extraordinary examples of leadership. And I think we need to record those so that we are able in time to reflect on what that means for leadership narratives and our profession and for the way that we prepare for future crises. Let's hope they don't come, but if they come. So I think social documentation can happen at a number of levels. The work that you are doing at CFEY, both in the round table 
uh, and in this podcast is a form of social documentation. And as I said to you in the round table, I really applaud you for that. So I think that it really is what we need. And the final form of social documentation that I'll mention is the examples of the extraordinary acts of human kindness that are all around us. And, you know, I've seen some in my own community with people volunteering in a purposeful and coordinated way, actually, to support the elderly, to support those who are self-isolating, to support families who might be in crisis. And so, you know, the documentation of the resilience of the human spirit, really, seems to me also really important in this period. Absolutely. Thank you very much. I was really struck by how much the example that you gave in the round table of the, the two young boys writing on the pavement had resonated with everyone who was listening. So many people were sharing and commenting and, and recognising that. And I think it was really appreciated. So, yeah, that's a really, really important thing that we all are taking into account. Eleanor and Carly, would you like to come in at all on this one? I mean, I just agree. I think the social documentation is really important. And I also just think from a school leader's point of view, one of the things that we're all trying to do at the moment is to kind of create sort of almost policies and procedures for this new environment that we find ourselves in. And I can see that happening. And it's one of the things I'm engaging with and everybody in my trust and everybody in my school are all busy trying to sort of formalise all of these decisions and procedures and processes, which is good because I guess that's part of social documentation. I just think we should also be quite loose with those things too. I just don't want to feel like we are constraining ourselves. We are only in week two of closure. You know, I sort of see lots of policies and procedures coming into place. And I think actually let's not be bound by that let's keep being creative and open about the kind of way in which we are documenting and formalizing what we're doing as a profession because I do think it's important that we do document what we do as a profession and I think we will look back on this time you know in, in the future we will look back and say how did we respond as a sector to this crisis and I'd really like that looking back to be very positive and say well we made the right decisions we were flexible we allowed ourselves to adapt we didn't you know drive ourselves into a hole so yeah that would be my view brilliant Elena yeah so I think listening to Leora I found it wonderful to listen to your examples and I applaud you for doing it and also Alex and the CFEY team but I have to admit that being in school every day it's not very high on my list of priorities and I don't know whether it should be higher but actually I'm sitting and thinking yeah this is a really good point but actually how can I fit this in into the work that we're already doing I don't know so I applaud you for getting it out there and hopefully through being involved in things like this I can do my bit because I'm not quite sure where I can find the extra time for a bit more <laughs> I think you're probably already doing it in ways that you don't realize you know sort of every time you speak to a student and say you know can you write down a couple of sentences about how you're feeling today or those conversations that you're having and those actions that you're taking and then reflecting on at the end of the week asking someone on Twitter for advice about something, all of these things are kind of playing into this process. So um, you are doing so much already, I wouldn't give yourself any extra pressure. <laughs> this has been a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for all of your time in making the time to fit this in. We really, really appreciate it. And it's been so valuable. Really looking forward to sharing it with everyone else. Is there anything any of you would like to say before we wrap up for, for today? Can I just say, I mean, I shared this on Twitter for those of you that follow me anyway, but I think it's really important that actually people are really shattered and kind of my big ask is to ask people to be charitable to one another. 
that actually we're all really coming from a good place and trying to do the right thing. So when we're looking at the reactions of our colleagues, whether that's things they've said or they've written, I'm really asking people to look at it from the best possible interpretation of what people say and they do, because we're all in this together and we all need help and support sometimes to be our best possible selves. And that's my real kind of call to the sector right now. I think that's a really lovely note to end on, Eleanor. Thank you so much for that. And I look forward to us all keeping in touch and continuing to support each other as much as we can. And I wish you all all the best with everything. And thank you very much to everyone who has joined in to listen to our podcast today. And we hope that you all keep in touch with us too to let us know how you're getting on. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. We love making this podcast. If you enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoy making it, there's a few things that you can do. 1. Subscribe. Hit the subscribe button in iTunes or wherever you're listening. 2. Share. Share this episode with someone you know who will find it interesting. 3. Review. Write a review or leave a comment. Also, feel free to contact us via the links in the show notes. Thanks a lot.